Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution built for small business owners just like you who want to skip the headache at tax time. For a limited time, try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit GetFreshBooks.com now and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP3. This week on TWIP, Nikon announces the Nikon 1 V3, Instagram and product placement, drone pilots flying high again, photography retailer Calumet closes its doors in the United States, and an interview with Panasonic Lumix Luminary, Rob Knight. It's Wednesday, March 19th, 2014, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me to tackle some of the interesting topics that have hit the photosphere and more are Mr. Brian Caparici and Mr. Aaron Nace from Florin.com. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. It's, yeah. it's good to have you. Good to have you. Hey, Aaron, you and I had a chance to hang out a little bit at WPPI, right? And Brian, you and I did as well, but you were virtual there. Aaron, what did, what did you think of WPPI? Was it a success for Flern or you or, or Bust? Yeah. yeah, it was actually it was interesting this year. Um, so we've done the last couple of years, and uh, as Flern, it's, it's actually our third anniversary this week. Um, so Flern turned three years old. That's it? I feel like you guys have been around for like like 20 years or something. I just bang you over the head with a lot of videos. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Um, but it was interesting to see how like the first year we went, uh, no one knew who we were and no one wanted to talk to us. <laughs> They're like, who are you? We don't care. Um, and this year, slightly fewer people did that, so it was good. Yeah, slightly fewer. You're like the celebrity walking around the floor with an entourage and like giving people the hand. I saw it. Come on. <laughs> You were the one with the that setup, man. I all right. Next year, can I sit in one of those chairs and be on your show? Absolutely. You're okay. you. Uh, wild horses can keep you away. So deal, deal. And Brian, what did you think? I mean, you were remote, right? So you were you were watching things kind of from afar. Did you? Was there anything you were able to to cull from WPPI? Remotely? Well, you know. It, it was quiet where I was. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, yeah. It wasn't Las Vegas, but uh, yeah, no. It, uh, it it seemed you know the buzz was happening on social media, so it seemed like it was a great convention this year. This year, awesome, cool. Well, Brian, but before we jump into the show, what's what's going on in the the world of wedding photography up in Canada for you? Yeah, no, it's uh, we're still sort of in the off season right now. So wedding photography wise, uh, things aren't happening too too much right now. But uh, me personally, I just launched a website called Sprouting Photographer. Which is actually uh, it's an educational site for photographers, um, more about the business of photography because that's sort of where my passion is about business. So Mine got too. all kinds of yeah, got all kinds of articles and resources and tools and stuff over there. So that's kind of uh, a lot of fun right now. Awesome, and that's sproutingphotography.com. Yep, sproutingphotographer.com. Sproutingphotographer.com. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. 
All right, well, welcome back to the show. And Aaron, Aaron, what about you? What's going on in the world of Flurn aside from keeping those videos flowing? <laughs> we are um, things are actually going really exciting. We we just um, we're we're cranking out a ton of new content here. We've hired a, a new staff, so we're we've actually like really increased uh, production, and it's a, it's about to hit the hit the world. So we're really excited. We've got um, quite a bit of stuff in the works. Some really big photo shoots, and we're we're teaching things that we've never done before, and. Um, we've actually got, for those of you guys who are Flurn watchers or you know want to learn Photoshop right now, there's actually a huge sale right now on Flurn.com for our pro tutorials, which are like two-hour-long amazing Photoshop tutorials because it's yeah. our third birthday year, third third three-year anniversary. I don't know what's yeah. <laughs> third third year, three year. Yeah, what's what's yeah. the sale? Is it how how big is it? It's thirty percent off everything at Flurn.com, and uh, the coupon code is Happy Birthday. Happy birthday. I got to and I you know I very rarely endorse things but I've been a customer. I've been a I've been watching Aaron when I interviewed you I was telling you about this. I I I found Flurn somehow on YouTube. I know that was where you cast that net on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was part of the plankton in that net. I got caught up watching those like like you put long form tutorial videos on YouTube. So I got caught up in that and watching those and then of course I ended up on flurn.com. And now I have a, you know, I don't know, I have a folder on my Drobo with, I don't know, it's got to have at least seven or eight Flurn tutorials in there. So I helped fund your flight to uh, Vegas, just so you <laughs> <laughs> So congratulations. Man, that's awesome. Thank you so much for the support. That's really, really cool. Well, I, um... You know, it works. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, the tutorials on your site are, they're, for me, they, they, they resonate with the kind of, the way that I like to learn, and that's like, Sitting over the shoulder of a master that's doing something, you know, that's and he's sort of explaining to you backwards, like, okay, I'm doing this and this is why I'm doing this, and you're working from blank canvas to finished awesome piece in this tutorial, you know, not just like, oh, this is how you do this, and this is what the you know the multiply layer does, you know, it's it's soup to nuts, which is awesome, and that's I think that's a really viable way to learn this stuff. So, Thank you so much. And for me, uh, just a couple of housekeeping notes here. I want to let the listeners know that I will be at Macworld next week on Friday, the 28th of March. I'll be doing a talk in the, the Data Robotics or the Drobo booth. I'll be talking about data storage solutions and workflows for photographers and that sort of thing. And they are, in, during my session, they're going to give away a Drobo. So if you are in the San Francisco area and you watched Twi and or listened to TWIB, come to the Moscone Center, hang out, watch my talk, and you might walk away with a free Drobo in your hand. So then the next thing coming up for me is NAB, I think a week after that in Las Vegas. Yes, I'm going back to Vegas again. <laughs> so, I know, it's crazy. I'll be there, Aaron, I'll be there doing the same thing I did for Passonic um, at NAB, but I'll be, we'll be kind of roaming around the floor doing interviews with different photographers and lots of drone talk this year. So we're going to be talking about drones and, unis well, not supposed to call them drones. They're unmanned aerial vehicles. So we'll be talk, talking about those things, which is the topic of the show, one of the things we're going to talk talk about today. Um, and then there's all these... I'm going to put a calendar on Twip, actually. Uh, I'm heading out to New Zealand to hang with Trey Radcliffe and do some nature-slash-wildlife-landscape photography out there. And um, going to Paris in June with Valérie Jardin to do some sort of street photography. So I'm all over the planet. 
I don't know what's going on. It's a crazy year. That's very so, cool. And on all these trips, I will have my iPad loaded with flurn.com tutorials so I can watch them on the plane, Aaron Nace. <laughs> what better way to pass the time than to fill your brain with awesome Photoshop knowledge? I can't think of a better way. There you go, of course. And you're not, you're not biased at all, so it's awesome. Not at all. All right. All right, guys, before we jump into the show, I want to thank our first sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our friends over at FreshBooks.com, or you can hit them up at GetFreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution that's built for small business owners just like you. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, just visit GetFreshBooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And it's tax time. If you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a mess right now. You're hunting for receipts, you're digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional looking invoices, capture and track expenses, and get real-time business reports with just a few simple clicks. Plus, you can work anywhere with FreshBooks using their mobile apps for your phone and tablet. And I use FreshBooks personally to manage the This Week in Photo universe by because, you know, it's kind of a one-man band here, managing all the expenses and the invoicing and the clients and all advertisers, all that stuff. So FreshBooks is the back end to everything on This Week in Photo. It automatically invoices advertisers, it invoices everything, keeps everything in track, and when I need to run reports for tax time, it's a few simple clicks, and boom, I'm done. I don't have time, I wanna be a photographer, I wanna be out shooting, so FreshBooks makes it easy for me to just get everything done. And it's uh, it's it's just a great service, it's a godsend for getting things done as a very thin operation in terms of headcount. Um, and you know, for me, if I if I knew known about FreshBooks when I first started this week in photo, a ton of headaches would have just gone away. I mean, we receive invoices from people using FreshBooks, so they, you know, when when we send things out, they look professional. We get paid online, so there's no hassle of mailing checks or anything crazy like that. So FreshBooks is awesome. And like I said at the beginning, for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for 60 days. Just get started at GetFreshBooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners and viewers an extended 60-day free trial just to make sure you can get through tax time in a breeze. They're trying to make everything easy for you. So head over to getfreshbooks.com, enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up and enjoy and make sure you know, you tell them that this week in photo sent you. All right, gents. Story number one is about Nikon. And I, I feel like over the past year or so, I've been trashing Nikon a lot because it felt like, I mean, they haven't been really announcing a lot of cool stuff. And then they came out with a DF which, you know, a lot of people were coming up with clever names for what DF meant. And, you know, we did a review of it. <laughs> we did a review of it, and the hate comments came in from the people that bought it, which I attribute to Stockholm Syndrome. And <laughs> the people, you know, it was, just, it was just like the storm around DF. And then Nikon in general, has I've been sort of 
hammering them for not doing any innovation when folks like Sony and Olympus and Canon are just crushing it, you know, and the big guys are just like, you know, these lumbering triceratops out there not doing anything. But Nikon has announced uh, they have, I'm going to read this, what Bruce has put in our show notes for us. He's such an eloquent writer, better than I can talk. So he said, just when just when we thought they might be out of the mirrorless game, Nikon has unveiled the newest camera in the Nikon One line, an ultra-fast mirrorless shooter that brings the company closer to the competition and lends credence to Nikon's recent promise that it's still committed to the compact camera market or the CSC market. So it's got a new body. They're going to release a new grip and two two lenses for it. So the, the body is $1,000. It's a... The, well, did I get this right? So yeah, it's they're releasing two lenses. One is a Nikkor seventy to three hundred f four five six or five to five six, so variable, um, and a three hundred dollar VR ten to thirty three five to five six zoom. So the kit with a ten to thirty, the kit lens, uh, it's going to come with. It's going to retail at twelve hundred dollars. So one of the cool things that we highlighted in this. So it's got all the you know sort of the you know, the, the typical specs that you'd see, uh, but it's got a 20 frame per second continuous shooting autofocus tracking mode that will shoot for up to 40 shots, and Nikon is claiming that it's the world's fastest. So, Aaron, when you look at this, we were, so are you, first of all, you are a Canon shooter, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, so most yeah. Of you, yeah, but when you look at these, like, little smaller sort of you know, I call them kind of R2-D2 kind of cameras. I mean, they do all this stuff, but they're cute, they're small, and very powerful. When you look at these, does do they resonate with you at all? You're like, okay, I can integrate that in my workflow, or next time I go to Costa Rica, I'm going to take it with me, or anything like that. Yeah, I, I actually really like these little cameras that they come out with. We got a, like a, a couple, about a year ago, we got a Sony NEX, and um, I love that camera. It's yeah. not the camera that I would use for like a, you know, oh, you got one right there. Look at that, right there. This is the NEX 5R, right there. I love this little thing. It's awesome. Yeah, we've got a 5N, I think, which mm -hmm. I don't know the difference between those, but that looks good. <laughs> an R and an N. That's the difference. That's oh, it. There we go. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, I love them. I think they're really cool. Um, you know, for me, it's like the perfect mix between, you know, like whatever would be a point-and-shoot in a DSLR. So right now I, I don't see much of a reason why I'm gonna drop my 5D Mark III during like what I would call a, a serious photo shoot for one of those um, mm. but I don't want to take my 5D Mark III with me on like a vacation or you know a road trip or you know something like that so I think these cameras like there's a huge market because the most people are not doing you know what I do with with a camera they're, you know they're not setting up 10 lights and have a model and a hairstylist and makeup artist like most people are not doing that, so most people probably don't need the Mark III. Um, they'd probably be happier with with something smaller like this, with you know some of those fun features. Um, yeah, yeah, and they they are fun features. One of the fun features in there that I use on you know the cameras that I'm shooting with, I'm shooting with the, the Panasonic GX7 mostly, and the. G GM1 because it's just like this big and I can take it wherever I go. Um, but the Wi-Fi capability, just having Wi-Fi and being able to send images directly to my tablet or smartphone, play around with a little bit and then pump it up to social media, that's like a holy grail for me. I mean, Brian, when you saw you see this camera. First of all, this Nikon, does this appeal to you at all? Are you going to like rush out and get on the pre-order list for this? What do you think? 
Well, so I, I think it's interesting. Um, I, I guess I, I should say I am I, I do shoot Nikon, so I've got a Nikon D3s. Mm -hmm. uh, I am sponsored by Fuji though, so so I'm I'm a Fuji shooter. Um, Wait, how does that work? Wait a minute. You're, that's like that's like having sister wives. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a Fuji advocate, and so, okay. so that's, I, I I do shoot about fifty percent of my professional work with Fuji. Surprisingly, uh, I yeah. shoot a hundred percent of my personal work with Fuji for the same reasons that that Aaron is talking about um, the portability, how compact it is. Um, it's it's so great just to to pull around, and the image quality is amazing. So you're you're seeing this gap between DSLR and these smaller compact cameras start to get closer and closer and closer. And I think this is definitely a good step for Nikon. Um, the thing that I find really interesting about this is the the Nikon 1V3 actually has a 2.7 crop factor. Mm. So so when you look at a 70 to 300 lens on that, that actually gives you a closer to 800 which is insane for a camera that small. So I think it's really interesting. I think it's sort of, um, I think it's them in a way saying me too because they're seeing all these other companies, you know, come out with these great additions in that market. And Nikon hasn't necessarily been there um, and they've been accused of, of, you know, not being there on purpose. Um, do I think some of the changes to the, the V3 versus the V2 are entirely appropriate? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, they got rid of the electronic viewfinder, which which I don't know if that's a positive thing. They, it's Now it's just an addition. So kind of, I guess, neither here nor there. They changed the design all over, yeah. which, again, if you fell in love with the, with the handling of the V2, then you're going to find a completely different experience with the V3. So I think it's interesting. I think they're doing some really cool things. I mean, the fact that this thing can shoot 20 frames per second, that's amazing. Um, I, I listened to, to a little video of, uh, of someone using it at a sporting event and just clicking at 20 frames a second. It was insane. So I think that that's really cool. I think that they're, they're stretching the boundaries of what you can do with mirrorless. And I think that that just in general for our industry is really, really interesting. Yeah. But looking at this, and this is a question to both of you guys. I, I think Aaron, no, actually both of you in particular, because you're both professional shooters. You make money with your camera. Uh, looking at this, the mirrorless space, not so much this camera. I mean, this is 18.4 megapixels, so maybe this camera. But just the mirrorless space in general. Aaron, once you take this first, could a mirrorless camera at any point in the near or far future, replace your DSLR for the pro work that you do, that you do your retouching on, that you deliver to a client and say, hey, this is worth the $30,000 price tag from Flurn. Yeah, you know, I... I $30,000. <laughs> I'm fishing. I'm fishing. Yeah. $30? No. <laughs> so... I wouldn't see why not, to be honest. I, I don't think the technology is there just yet. But to me, like, I, I'm not tied to the digital SLR it, for really any reason other than that right now I feel like the image quality I'm going to be able to get out of one is better than what I could get out of, you know, a, a mirrorless camera. But I'm I'm really interested in to see, you know, where is this going to go in, in a couple of years. Like, yeah. when we get a... Maybe we get away from, a, like, a mechanical shutter altogether switch to a completely mechanical sh or a completely electronic shutter that could open up quite a bit of possibility really like you know shooting what I'd like to see is an increased dynamic range so if we could shoot you know three stills in the in a period of time of you know like a very very short amount of time that would basically all stitch together so 
to give it 20 stops of dynamic range or something like that, then to me, that's, that's going to start trumping your, your other digital SLRs because those, I, I guess it's, if, if they can figure out a way around the limitations of the sensor through things like that, to me, th that would be cool. That would be worth it. Yeah, so dynamic range. What about you, Brian? What do you, what do you think? This is the, the mirrorless space, and I, I know we've had an interview before, so I know what your answer is going to be, <laughs> but can a mirrorless camera replace a DSLR in a professional workflow, I guess? I would say 100% yes, um, and, and I mean, this topic is very near and dear to me. I actually recently presented at um, one of our Professional Photographers of Canada events to 125 photographers, professional working photographers, wedding and portrait photographers, and the whole topic was about mirrorless. And, and I just, I, I talked about what that meant for professionals, what it looks like, what the sort of um, uh, assumed limitations are with it, and, and when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, there really isn't much that I can see being a limitation outside of maybe presence because some professional photographers want to appear with their bigger camera. Yeah. That, that might be one. Certainly, um, you know, a sensor size, you know, that most of them out there have APS-C size sensors or smaller like in the micro four thirds. But, but again, when you look at what that really means in terms of what we can do with the images, I've printed 30 by 40s beautifully out of my Fuji XE2. Um, I've had albums printed beautifully with my mirrorless camera files. Wow. So in terms of, a, of, a, of an application, I, I honestly don't see where the struggle is outside of the autofocus hasn't quite caught up to where we are with DSLR in the mirrorless system. So I would say if you're a sports shooter, that's probably still a very real limitation. But outside of that, I, I really honestly can't see a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges in it. I mean, well, the, the other challenge that we talk about on the show a lot, aside from, you know, what you just mentioned is, you know, aside from the, the focusing speed is just perception. You know, you show up again, you're, you know, you're Aaron, you're charging 30 grand and you show up with this camera that, you know, your daughter, the, the client's daughter has and they're going to look at you with one eye closed and drop a zero off of your invoice, right? I mean, do you guys, Aaron, would you, would you agree that, that perception, like the size and the fact that you don't have that white lens and the big kind of honking, expensive-looking camera will be, the fact that you don't have it is detrimental to the bottom line for professional photographers? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some truth to that. I, I definitely think that it, it carries more in just, um, well, you have a, Many different markets, right? So if you show up, show up to wedding, you've got you got your camera and you've got a few lenses, and like that's, and then you've got you and maybe an assistant. Like that's all the pedigree you bring with you. Um, mm -hmm. When we're doing photo shoots, we have our own studio and a full-time staff and you know production team. So for someone to look at my camera and say that you're not a professional when I've got you know all that around me, I'd be like, well, maybe you know I wouldn't be so worried about it. But I I think that in other cases it might be something to worry, but I don't know. I, I I wonder if well, even like the 5D Mark III. Like I had the 5D Mark II, and I put the battery grip on it, you know, to make it look bigger, to make myself more professional. <laughs> yeah. And now I have a 5D Mark III, and I haven't. I don't have a battery grip for it because I'm I'm okay with a smaller size. And I I think that a lot of it's in our heads too, you know. Like like I want the bigger camera, so I'll be seen as more professional. But right. I, I I I've seen I, I don't know. I I've seen a lot of photographers who don't even touch a camera, like, you know, or film directors who don't even touch their cameras. So um, I, I think a lot of that is in the head of the photographer, maybe more than the client. Maybe not. I, 
Hard for me yeah, to tell. No, I think I, I I think I agree with that. But you know, f- when you're when you're speaking to an amateur photographer that's just getting started, of course they want to, you know, it's the blowfish. You want to you know seem larger than you are to the other people that are around you. And okay, he must know what he's doing because he's invested in all that gear. So you know they have that sort of mentality. But I think the bigger you get, or the more maybe it's not bigger, but the more established per se, that you get, like Annie Leibovitz, for example, she could walk in with the Sony NEX5R, you know, to a, you know, $75,000 shoot, and no one would bat an eye, They're like, oh, it's Annie, that, every, and after that, everyone would run out and buy this camera, you know, because, because Annie was shooting with it, you know, but right. conversely, if, you know, me or someone else walked into that same shoot, they're going to be like, you know what? What's that about? You know, you couldn't afford a real camera. You're not there yet. Come on, you know. So, so you know, I think we're 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 at that weird point right now. Brian, what, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna say I I think I think there's two points actually, and I think this is really interesting. For me, I'm a wedding photographer, and and by no means would I say that I'm. I'm, you know, a cheap wedding photographer. I'm actually one of the most expensive in the area, and I'm proud of that. But for me to actually show up to a wedding, and I'm photographing these intimate moments, and I'm trying to integrate myself into the wedding day, and and for most of the wedding day, I, I'm trying to be to to disappear, and I'm trying not to be visible because I want to just capture people being who they are. And so if I can show up with this tiny little camera, and for those of you listening, I'm just holding up the X-T1 right now. Mm-hmm. This is a tiny camera, and, and it doesn't give me a huge presence, and I actually love that about it because I can just appear like the average person at the wedding and just capture raw emotion around me. I think that's one benefit in terms of you know how, how I would use the camera. Number two, I think it's actually really interesting when you show up with a camera like this, definitely it turns some heads and uh, and it starts some conversation and it's a really good place to start a conversation with somebody where you may have otherwise not had a conversation. So I think that I, I think that there can be pros to the fact that it gives you a smaller presence. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, was, I did an interview at CES with uh, Brian Smith. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer. He shoots the, the he's a, a Sony artisan and he shoots the Sony A7 and I believe he probably has an A7R as well. But one of the things I asked him the same question, you know, about the size perception thing. And he said one of the things that he does is he has his larger gear. He has a table set up in some shoots with his larger gear and big lenses and all that stuff out there that looks like it's ready to be used, and then he, you know, goes and actually does the shoot with a Sony a7, which is much smaller and less quote-unquote professional looking, you know, right. which is, you know, I think we're probably in this weird kind of, you know, uh, between period where people will start realizing that, wow, look at all this great stuff that's coming out of, like, iPhones and Android and all this stuff, these bigger cameras have larger sensors than that, so they must be able to do some cool stuff. So, yeah, I think we're we're probably just at the beginning of it. So, hopefully, we'll we'll see it change. All right, guys, let's move on to story number two, and this one is about Instagram. So, not what you think, because we've been talking about Instagram and their their sort of terms of service and how they can do anything with your images once you upload them to Instagram. But this one is a little positive. So this one. Basically, an article in Adweek has declared that Instagrammers, or people that are uploading photos to Instagram, and have large followings are the new brand influencers. So let me repeat that. They're the new brand influencers. So you have a, you know, a, a huge number of followers on Instagram, 
brands are probably gravitating towards you depending on what your demographic is and you know the types of things that you're posting to get you to insert their messaging into your stream. So this is really, really interesting to me. From and Brian, I know this is interesting to you too as a as a marketing professional. When you look at this. What do you think? I mean, is is Instagram a viable channel to get the message out, or do like when I'm on Instagram, if I see something that even remotely looks like an ad, I'm going I'm going by it and maybe even unfriending that person. <laughs> what yeah, do you think? Well, well, so so I think it's interesting. I think I think first of all, the whole idea of product placement isn't exactly new either. It's just it's a it's a new medium for it, right? Instagram. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think the whole point of it is is actually exactly what you just said, uh, Frederick, is where it's not supposed to look like an ad. It's supposed right. to look just integrated, right, in, in that Instagrammer's life. Right. And so I just happened to be driving a yeah. Tesla today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I I, I think I think. I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it's a smart move for marketers to to take advantage of those that have a following. Um, like I said, it's nothing new. You see tweets, or you know, take it to a different medium. You see tweets all the time where someone is you know looking to do fundraising for you know the, their sick child, and they tweet out to a celebrity and say, "Hey, I'm trying to get funding. Here's a link. Would you mind retweeting this?" And the celebrity uses their audience to to you know access. Uh, more people for that. So I mean, it's sure. sort of just a different way of looking at that. I think I think it's an interesting approach. I think uh, I think if you give anyone a medium, they're going to try to turn it into an advertising stream. Of course, yeah. And, and I don't think there's any way around that. Anywhere <laughs> there's a crowd, there's going to be marketers, right? Yeah, Air exactly. nice. What, what what do you think? What are you thinking about this? Yeah, I think that you know, and it. I guess I could have seen it coming um, <laughs> as well, and it's. To me, I'm more interested in like how people are going to be doing it because it is, you know, it is regular people who are going to be, you know, promoting these products or I guess relatively high-end, you know, pseudo celebrities or whatever Instagram celebrities. Um, yeah. But I'd be interested to see like how well they actually pull it off. You know, going away from like the cheesy like, and I'm using my blah 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 blah. Like I'd be interested to see like how well they can actually sneak it into, you know, to to not have it be obvious that they're doing product placement. And I'm wondering, that, that would be an interesting, like, I, I don't know. If I was a company paying someone, like, to think of guidelines on how a person would put this product in their photos right. to not make it seem like it was product placement, um, that actually sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. But <laughs> I mean, to both to both of you guys, has product placement ever really worked on you? I mean, you know, have you, like, have you been watching an episode of... You know, I don't know, House of Cards or something, and you see that Kevin Spacey is using a certain kind of laptop. Do you run out and buy that laptop because Kevin Spacey has that laptop? I mean, Frederick, like, how, how did I know you were going to use the House of Cards example? That's I just, don't know. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm a fan of House of Cards. I can't. Yeah, I know. I know. Anything with oven it. House of Cards, Game of Thrones. You know, it's all good. <laughs> I do everything Kevin Spacey tells me to do. <laughs> you kill you kill dogs and all kinds of stuff. Without asking. Awesome. So I mean Aaron, what do you, what do you think? I mean, have you ever have you ever like d does product placement on television proper influence you? And there, you know, then by, you know, just sort of looking downstream an Instagram placement would like you're following say you're following me. I don't know, I think I have like twenty thousand people on Instagram. You're following me on Instagram, and I post a photo that of me and my Sony NEX5R. 
would that entice you to go buy a 5R because Frederick is using the 5R? Um, yes. No, you <laughs> said yes because you're on my show. <laughs> I'm not going to hang up on you. Come on. <laughs> He's like, uh, yes. Um, well, it's interesting. And I, I think that... I know that I really am pretty susceptible to being influenced by, like, if I hang around a certain crowd of people, I, I find myself acting like those people. And so, like, for me, I actually have to be kind of careful about, you know, what I put into my life. But yeah. I think it's more of, like, a, a mass effect rather than, like, a, a singular, like, you know, singular instance. Like, so, let's say I saw your uh, NEX5R. Um, that, that'd be, like, one little blip on my radar. But then if I saw the same camera and, like, ten other people that I follow then I might start to be like, okay, what's with this camera? Maybe I should check it out. Um, so I think it's, you know, just kind of like having it over and o just in your face over and over again. Um, I, I think for me that's a big part of, you know, what would eventually, I mean, this weekend I went out and bought like a new pair of shoes and they were way too expensive, but <laughs> I'm sure that I saw an ad three years ago that made me think that that brand was really nice. So yeah. now I have these two expensive shoes. Wow, wow! I really want to know what kind of shoes those were, but I'm gonna. They're um, two boot New York. I'm not gonna. <laughs> Adam Derrick. Two yeah. boot New York. Okay. You're the fashionista. Look at you. See, again, me with the nondescript Target black T-shirt on. Aaron, the hipster Chicagoan over there, I'm hanging just out. Trying with to a keep tie up, on. man. Come on. Like, <laughs> I can't. I can't keep up. You know, it's all Netflix's fault. I can't do it. <laughs> Brian, what about you? Are you uh, are you susceptible to the product placement Jedi mind trick? Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say, um, you know, for me, and and I would even argue for for most people that product placement isn't about necessarily impulse buys. I I would say exactly what Aaron's saying. I think it's more for awareness, and I think that that repeated uh, drips of a product is, is what's going to you know give people give the, the marketplace awareness for that product, and and I think that's. That's the point of product placement, in my thought, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'd really love to see an article or survey or something on with some metrics around who buys after they see product placement. I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm not immune because I was watching what show was I watching? I think it was the following or something. This Kevin or the uh, Kevin Bacon like serial killer show. And they had like these cool touch pads in Kevin Bacon's apartment next to the door that controlled the security system. So I'm watching that, and of course, I'm doing like what everybody does. You got your laptop on your stomach, watch TV, and I'm like, I got to find that thing. <laughs> and I couldn't find it. So if anybody knows what that is, let me know. <clears throat> so so product does work. Well, I was just going to say, I think something that's interesting too, Frederick, uh, instead of it just being product placement, and that's, in that case, and in a lot of other examples, it's, it's more about w when you can see the use of a product and you, and you can see yourself using it, then that would be more of an impulse buy. So, I, I right. mean, even for instance, in this case right now, in this Google Hangout, you're using that microphone, right? Yeah. If I'm sitting here watching and I hear your voice and I'm like, ooh, I love the, the smooth, warm tone of Frederick's deep voice on that microphone, yeah. I'll be like, hey there. <laughs> I'd be like, that's, that sounds great. I'm, I'm in the market for a microphone. What microphone is that that you're using? And so I might go and buy it because of that. So I, I think that, you know, in, in that case, it could work for impulse. Right. And now people are wondering what mic this is, so I have to tell them. Yeah. Where is it? Where is it? It's a Heil PR40. If you're oh, the Heil, yes. It's, 
the Heil PR40. I've been using this mic for years, and it has never failed me. I love the way it sounds. I've tried other mics, like this one. This is also the sexy Heil. mic. There's it's the sexy the Heil mic. Heil Finn, which was a birthday present. It, uh, you know, this one sounds really good, but it's, uh, you know, not quite as good as this one. So I went back to this one. Anyway, product placement. Heil, you may send me a check in the mail. <laughs> I accept PayPal, whatever you want. See, there you go. There you go. All right, guys, let's uh, move on. Story number three is about drones. So we had a discussion last year about aerial photography using drones. And photographers are, you know, lots of photographers are sort of jumping on the drone bandwagon. In fact, it's one of the main themes at NAB this year. I know our friends over at DJI are going to be exhibiting there, and they make the Phantom. They're one of the leaders in the industry, at least the consumer side and maybe the pro side as well, for drone-based aerial photography. So basically where we are, we're kind of in this gray area right now where the FAA has said you cannot fly these things for commercial purposes. And a lot of photographers are crying foul, yada, yada, yada. You can get fined up to $10,000 for doing this. So it's kind of squashed and put a dampening effect on the industry. However, a recent court filing has ruled that drone pilots you know, can fly. So basically, this guy went to court, and the judge found that, hey, you're in the right for flying your drone for commercial purposes, and now other drone pilots are using that precedence as, or using that case ruling as precedence for them being able to charge for a commercial flight. So Aaron, Aaron Ace, you know, looking at this, I know you don't pro you're probably not flying drones in the Florence studios in Chicago. <laughs> not yet. They haven't not sent us any. Not yet, but you could, right? Not yet. What do you, what do you think about this? I mean, looking at, like, first of all, are you interested at all in this drone movement or unassisted or the unmanned aerial vehicle movement? And then secondly, what do you think about this ruling? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in it. I think that anytime something like this comes along, with, right now it's in, still in my opinion, like the real beginning phases. And, you know, Who's to say how far it's going to be able to, how far it's going to be able to go? But you know, you get these things that are going to start being able to carry, you know, five, ten pounds eventually. Um, you, you're talking about opening up a huge amount of possibility when it comes to, you know, not just holding a camera, but what about holding lights and holding other types of props and things like that? Like, you can think about that. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, it, I, I think that if you know, if the drones do take off, where they're going to go in five years if the market, you know, is there, it's, it's going to be a really different place. And at that point in time, I think we're going to see a lot more use than we actually see today. Um, you know, right now, as it is, I don't see a whole lot of practical application for what we would actually do. Maybe some, like, fun shots from video or whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would base, like, a whole photo shoot on it just yet. But um, then again, I haven't seen the newest technology. And I know these things... They develop really, really rapidly, and it sounds like they're really taking off. So um, yeah. I'm interested to see where they go. Like, I didn't buy the first-generation iPhone, but I have an iPhone 5 now, and I love it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I haven't, I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't purchased my first drone yet, but I'm, I'm about this close to getting it because of all the stuff that's going on and some of the shots that I'm seeing from other photographers are doing these shots that you could never, ever get any other way. Like you know, flying next to the Statue of Liberty or, you know, f hovering over a pack of wildebeest, you know, that kind of stuff. You could never get that unless you owned a helicopter. And even then, you wouldn't be able to get it because the helicopter's too loud and expensive and dangerous and all this stuff. So, Brian, when you when you look at this, and I wanted to ask you or position this from a 
you know, and get your opinion from the, the lens of a wedding photographer. I saw one video online about a year ago <laughs> about this guy that had a drone. I don't know if it was DJI's drone, but it was a drone, yeah. and he, like, kamikazed it into the bride and groom, you know. Oh, no. did not end well. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Hopefully, you know, Bruce will find it and put it in the show notes. But what what do you think about this? I mean, is drone or drone based photography a viable way for you to distinguish yourself against other photographers that are you're competing against up there? Uh, you know, I mean, I I think I'm with Aaron on this. I I definitely think it's interesting. Um, do I see it as an application for photography? I think that's a lot to go through for a wedding photographer to get maybe one or two cool shots out of it. Yeah. Um, where I see it maybe being a little bit more applicable. In, in, a, in a wedding place would be um, for wedding videographers or cinematographers. Right. I think that, that um, the cinematography industry has, has really improved over the last you know, five to ten years. And you're seeing things like steady cams and gliders and all these you know, amazing um, movement things that, that they're coming out with to, to create these amazing pieces from a wedding day. And I think that um, you know, an overhead shot would just add to that. So from a wedding perspective, I can totally see it being applicable um, for video. For photography, I'm, I'm not 100%. Like well, one of the things that I do, I actually have a monopod that I bring with me to weddings. And uh, if it's an outdoor ceremony and I want to get a tall shot, I put my camera on the monopod, put it up 10 feet in the air, self-timer, and take a picture. Yeah. And so I, I can get a really nice picture, a really interesting perspective that you wouldn't otherwise have by just having a stick with me, right? So to have to bring, you know, all the equipment and the chargers and the and the remotes and all these things to get that same kind of shot, or I mean, of course, something a little bit better than that, but it just seems like a lot for for wedding photography. But video, I think, would be another case. Yeah, I think of it, I think, I, I totally agree with both of you guys, but I think of, like, first of all, if I was shooting weddings and I wanted to do, add a line item for aerial photography to my invoice, I'd probably have an assistant there that that's your job, you know, cover the wedding using the drones, that's your gig, I'm going to do my traditional photography. But then the other thing I think about just in terms of, like, Brian, you were talking about putting your camera on a pole and getting a different angle, that kind of thing. But I think about, like, say you're in Pismo Beach, California, on the cliffs there, and doing a wedding, a wedding in the gazebo, you could send a drone over the Pacific to shoot back with the ocean in the foreground. <laughs> <laughs> of right. of the couple standing on the you know on the cliff something that would never ever be possible before and you know I think of that I'm like okay that's how you differentiate yourself against the other 7000 photographers in Pismo Beach you can get this shot they can only get the shot with the pole right i mean and you therefore could charge an extra $2500 for that aerial photography line item right is that well, viable well you, you know so so my thought on that is is actually i i totally agree i think that would be amazing right but here's mm -hmm. my comment this is something that people aren't used to seeing right now and can you imagine in the middle of a wedding ceremony you've got this drone flying out over the bride and groom's head that, 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 in my opinion, would be very intrusive to the wedding and to the ceremony and to the bride and groom. It would obviously have to be something that they know ahead of time and they're okay of ahead of time because otherwise the guests will think that Amazon is sending them a package, you know, or something like that. So. <laughs> well, I would do it post. I wouldn't do it during the ceremony because people are like, you know, with this ring and it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Everyone's looking over there at the drone that's circling. <laughs> I would. 
okay, I would so, do the pose shots. Yeah, I, I think it could be interesting. There, the there's ceremony. a photographer, uh, a news photographer, actually here uh, in the area in Niagara, and he's been experimenting with one of the, I think, one of the phantoms um, in in covering events and in going and covering, you know, crowds at outdoor, um, um, you know, beer fests and and going out to golf courses and getting some stuff at like golf tournaments and, and that kind of coverage. And I think that's really interesting because yeah. you can create a completely different perspective out of what's, you know, the ordinary picture that the news photographer would get. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's got some some potential for sure. Love it. All right, guys, we're, geez, we're almost at the end of the show. See, it feels like we just started. When we get these awesome topics, the show just flies by. The, <laughs> this last story that I want to talk about is Calumet. Now, Calumet holds a special place in my heart because I remember when I first started in photography, getting the Calumet magazine, you know, their catalog and going through it and looking at all the backgrounds and lights and all this stuff, stuff that I could never afford at that time. <laughs> I used to look through it. It was one of my first introductions to all the cool kit that you could buy and to create these, these like, you know, Brian and Aaron type shots. But after 75 years in business, 75 years in business, they suddenly closed their, their doors last week. I mean, they shut down. They, you know, they filed bankruptcy, shut the website down, gone. And they had all kinds of people like, where's my order? You know, I know a lot of electronics manufacturers were on the phone with them saying, where's our, where's our product? You know, all that stuff. So it just went from, zero, from 100 to zero overnight. So first of all, you know, I want to pause for a moment of silence. And then secondly, Aaron Ace, I want to throw it at you. Is this just the sign of the times, brick-and-mortar stores like Calumet? You know, they had an online component as well, obviously. But, you know, but brick-and-mortar and online sort of com stores like that are... Are they dinosaurs now, or are do Hunt's Photo and B&H, do those kind of guys have the formula correct and they'll live on in perpetuity? What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I meet this with a little bit of mixed feelings, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. I like, you know, we had a Calumet, you know, a, a mile from our studio here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and I... I really liked being able to go to an actual photography store. You know, for a professional photographer, that's it's a real big deal. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, if all we're left with after a couple of years is a wolf photo and, you know, stuff like that or Best Buy. Um, right. right. I, I really won't have any chance just to order, you know, rather than ordering online. Um, that being said, I actually went in Calumet quite a few times um, to, to get things like backdrops or, you know, stands and whatnot. And uh, they they didn't have it in their store. They they said go go online, and they yeah. so I wound up having to order it online anyway. And it's it's just yeah. I I think it is you know kind of a sign of the times. It, I think that you know larger retailers like Walmart who are carrying things like paper towels that everyone needs every day, you know those will stay open. You know people are they just they want that. They need to go to the store to get it all the time. But you know specialty items that cost several thousand dollars that can be at your doorstep the next day for $3 more, um, I, it's hard to compete. It's hard to compete, what are you do? yeah. Yeah, and we, we, we did shows, I mean, a couple of years ago we did, we did a show, or a couple of shows, I think, on brick-and-mortar stores versus buying online, and the gist of the show was this phenomenon, I don't know if it's a phenomenon, but the, or the, 
the basic behavior of people to go into these brick and mortar stores, fondle the gear, ask questions of the human behind the counter, and then give it back and go order it on their phone or go back home and order it online. You know, and that is Brian, do you think that might have been an arrow in the heart of Calumet? People just going in there and using them as a, you know, let me touch all your gear and then I'm gonna go buy it for cheaper online. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that that doesn't help. Uh, I, I don't know if that's you know directly responsible for it, but but certainly, I mean, that's that's something that's becoming commonplace in in everything that we do. I mean, there's apps that you can get on your phone now where you can go to you know your local chapters or in, Indigo, your bookstore, take a picture of the book, and it'll show it to you on Amazon and help what the price is. And yeah. so it's like right then and there, you can go do your your window shopping and then order it online and get it at your door the next day. So the Amazon app itself does that, you know, yeah. let you scan the barcode and or take a picture of it and boom, hey, oh, this is 29.95 in the store. We'll have it to you tomorrow for 15 bucks. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and, and and that's just the thing. I I think the other thing to consider and again, I don't I don't know um all the history with Calumet and and sort of everything that went down, but I I'm I'm left to wonder whether this is um and even an indication to us as photographers saying, if you don't change with the times, you're going to go extinct. And again, I don't know exactly what Calumet's business model was. I know you said that there was an online component to it. But definitely, I mean, you've got your, your, your big stores like B&H and Amazon are just annihilating the market because they've adapted a model that, that is what we want to see and what we want to do and how we want to shop. And if Calumet sort of, you know, wanted to stick with their roots and didn't want to adapt that kind of model, well, well that could be it. And I, I think that this is actually a bigger discussion even for photographers. A lot of photographers stand their ground, stick with what they've been doing for 30 years, um, are quickly realizing that that's not what clients want anymore and that's not the, the right business model for today's market. And, and they're going extinct. And so I, I think that as photographers and as an industry, I think that we can take a lesson from this and say you, you have to embrace change. You have to adapt with a, with a changing market. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, and a lot of times, change isn't pleasant, you know, like this. Right. And we, uh, you know, we, like, we, were, we, were all, we, we all grew up with Calumet and now they're gone. You know, they're a casualty of change. But when you look at this, you know, I, I look at this from the standpoint, I'm thinking... The marketer in me is thinking, okay, let's zoom out, and we've got Amazon out there that is a gigantic. I, I don't think people even realize how large Amazon is. So Amazon, Amazon is just gigantic. Is is this a consolidation in the industry? In other words, are we going to see Amazon grow and swell and do the blob thing, and then B and H is going to get absorbed, and Hunts is going to get absorbed, and pretty soon it'll just be Amazon for us to choose from and no brick and mortar. In fact, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, we were talking about what we're doing the what if game, like what if Amazon decided, you know what, I need, we need brick and mortar stores to augment our online powerhouse, let's buy Target, <laughs> you know, and Amazon buys Target, and now they have distribution, and you can go pick up stuff in the store, buy it online. I don't know, Aaron, Aaron what do you think, is this where things are going, you know, you fast forward to 20... I don't know, 2020, do you see a world where, you know, there's fewer choices but much more convenience? Well, I, I think that it's hard to underestimate, you know, overestimate human greed and, like, you know, the ability to <laughs> save a dollar or two here or there is, uh, you know, when you're, when you, 
you know, when the kids are screaming and you got to pay your mortgage, people don't really care if something's made in China or if they're not supporting a local business or it's, you know, bottom line, I think it comes down to the dollar no matter what it is. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of sad, but that's, that's capitalism. And I, <laughs> do I think that it could be, uh, you know, darkening the souls of millions of Americans? Sure. But um, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, but you know, you look at it just playing devil, devil's advocate on this. You and we, this, it's coming back to me because in that show that we were talking about, the fact that you could go and support your local brick and mortar store, like here in the Bay Area, we've got um, Keeble and Shuckett in Palo Alto, which is they've been around forever, and you know they're kind of the local large photography store that you can go to. But if you if you go into Keeble and Shuckett and you see a camera, say it's the, the Nikon D4S that Brian's going to pick up tomorrow, right? So you see that camera in the store, and it's $200 more expensive than it is online, and you have to have that camera for whatever reasons, and that $200 could be going towards your kid's college fund or towards your vacation with your wife in Hawaii or pushing you over the edge for the mortgage that you're trying to get to get a bigger place for the baby that's on the way, then, you know, supporting the local camera store doesn't make that much sense to you, right? Because it's personal. I don't know. Brian, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I guess my thought process is, yeah, I, I see the difference. And, and when it comes down to, you know, two two comparable widgets where it's the exact same thing, it's you're right. It's totally, it's hard to justify spending more just because it's at, at uh, you know, a, a local supplier. But I think if we keep making those kinds of small decisions every single time, yeah. there's going to be no, you know, small local place to go in and, and, you know, take a look at and you're not going to know the local guy. And, I mean, these local stores are are uh, employing and supporting our economy and they're employing and, and supporting our families and our friends. And, and, and yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 tough, right? Because... Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure where I stand. I think it's an unfortunate um, direction that we're going, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's scary. It's scary, but you know, like I was saying at the beginning, change isn't always pleasant for everybody. So, no, exactly. You know, but it is inevitable. Change is inevitable. It's one of the one things. It's one of the few things, you know, uh, aside from paying taxes, that we can uh, we can count on. And death. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, I before you, before we continue, I want to uh, thank our the last sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our friends over at Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. Three. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. With the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. And when you start your free trial, you don't need your credit card. You can start building your website right away. And then when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just be sure to use the offer code TWIP3 and get 10% off and to show your support for This Week in Photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support of the show. Remember, Squarespace, it's everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, normally this is the segment, this is a listener Q&A segment where we 
ask our listeners or our listeners submit questions to us uh, and we answer them on the show. However, though we've seen a crazy amount of activity in our Google Plus page, no one's posting questions. They're posting great pictures and comments and links to stuff. No one's asking any questions. So either all of you guys know everything or <laughs> or something's wrong. So anyway, get in there. Either post questions in the in this the blog post for this episode or get onto our Google Plus page and send us questions and uh, you know we'll we'll answer them. For example, you could have had Brian Caparici and Aaron Nace answer your question personally on this episode, but you blew it. You didn't do it. So we have to move on to the picks of the week. All right. So <laughs> so about the picks of the week, let's jump into this. So you guys, if you've watched the show before, which I know you have, this is the segment where you guys can recommend anything to the This Week in Photo audience. Aaron Nace, I'm going to let you go first since I believe this is your, and you're kind of the new guy here. So you can recommend anything you want. It could be a light, it could be a camera, it could be software, it could be a Flurn episode, whatever you want. What do you think? What's your pick of the week? Oh, man. Um, well, in Las Vegas, I got to play around with the Profoto. I think they're called the B1s with the battery pack attached to the light. Uh-huh. Um, that was awesome. I just... <laughs> for the first time in a long, long time, I, I played with a piece of gear, and I actually was, like, kind of blown away by it. It's a... It's a, it's a Head with like the battery pack attached to the light. It weighs a couple pounds, and there's there's no cords, there's no nothing. I was just walking around with it, and um, they were shooting with it all day long off a, off a single charge. So um, we've wow. shot in the past with like Alien Bees, and um, right now we use Einsteins, and uh, you can buy the Vagabonds, which are like the battery packs that like you know they hang off the stands and you plug them in. But these uh, these Pro Photo B ones were just it's it's all in the same size as like my Einstein, and um, it powers itself for a full day. Uh, wow. I was pretty blown away by that. No, Aaron, I own I own a couple of Einsteins as well. Why did you settle on Einsteins for your studio? I mean, I, I see you when I look at your studio online, and I see you know what's going on in the background and your work. Einsteins are awesome, but I feel like Aaron Nace is a you know much more than the lights that I buy kind of photographer. <laughs> Why? Why? What was your methodology behind settling on the Einsteins? Um, well, I, I guess I'll say two things to that. Uh, one is we have a pro photo set as well, mm -hmm. so um, there's you know we, we do shoot with both. But the other is like we're we're big into education. We're a photography education company, and we really wanted to keep people believing that the the images that we turn out and things like that they can be done with you know what I would consider like very consumer level lighting. Um, so we've been actually we do use pro photos now, but we've been really hesitant in in getting that higher price lighting because we don't want it to come off as you know a, a, like a a little bit of a mental blockage for people thinking you know I can do this I can do what they're doing. So that's you know that's why we don't we don't shoot in medium format. We don't shoot with you know crazy expensive lighting. Uh, you know a lot of our models we get off of like um, you know sites like Model Mayhem or whatever. Like it's it, it is to like help our audience kind of connect with us on that level, so it's not so far out of their reach. Awesome, cool. That's a that's a good way to be. You know, keep it keep it manageable and accessible, and you know, and, and that's that's that resonates, right? Because I look at what you're doing, and when I watch an episode, I'm thinking, I could do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you got the same tool as we do. Yeah, it's it's totally possible. It's like, okay, I can do that. I have Photoshop. I have the computer. I have a tablet. I can I can go to town. I can do this. Cool. All right. So the, it's called the Pro Photo V1. Is that the, the name? 
I believe it's B1, like battery one. Okay, got it. Um, and I, I could be totally wrong on that, and the pro photo guys are going to kill me for it, but... <laughs> oh, it's free advertising. Cool. Yeah. All right. Free, free product placement. Product placement. I know. You should have one in the background here and that you're just slowly caressing every, you know, five minutes. All right, guys. Uh, so, Brian, what about you? What's your pick of the week? Oh, I, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't um, pull out my beautiful new Fuji X-T1 yes. with the 56-millimeter 1.2 lens on it. They're finally shipping. You and, you and Zach Arias, man. You guys oh. are killing me. <laughs> this this lens is is a portrait photographer's and a wedding photographer's dream. Like it is so 56 millimeters is 85 equivalent on the Fuji body, which I love the 85 millimeter perspective. I've always been an 85 guy in terms of uh, on my full frame cameras, and shooting at 1.2 on this is amazing. Um, I did a, a boudoir shoot on the weekend. I shot wide open with it, and uh, it is just tack sharp. So mm -hmm. beautiful. Beautiful fall-off, beautiful depth of field. It's an amazing lens. It's got substance. It feels good in your hands. Um, but at the same time, it's still super compact. When wow. you put it together with the X-T1, it's a great combination. So, What, what are we um, looking at price-wise for that combo that you have in your hand right um, now? So the X-T1, I believe, is around $1,200. Okay. And the 56mm, I believe, is around $800 or $900. Don't quote me on it, but it's somewhere around there. So uh, together, you're looking at about $2,000. But this this is uh, this is a great setup and, and, and all you would need for a portrait photographer. So that's a great setup. Is that is that your primary camera now? Like, is that the thing you grab when you leave the house to do a job? Yeah, totally. So, so this is I shoot like I said, all my personal stuff is with this. I've got the 23 millimeter as well, which I love. Um, but but for client shoots, I've got this. Um, I actually just bring this lens with me for client shoots now, and then I keep my uh, my D3s with a 70 to 200 on it if I need to have the extra reach. Very cool, awesome. Well, thanks guys. And my pick of the week. Is so I have a tripod from the folks over at MeFoto. It's m e f o t o. dot com. Um, so that's my my tripod that I put my little mirrorless camera on. It doesn't need to be a big giant tripod, and the MeFoto is just kind of the perfect size for these little mirrorless cameras. Um, uh, but they just released recently released a new product called the Sidekick 360. And the cool thing about this is the MeFoto has a little screw sort of. You know, you put the plate on the bottom of your camera, lock it on there, screw it on there, and then the plate attaches to the tripod like many other tripods. But the Sidekick 360 accessory holds your phone, your smartphone, and allows it to go into that same slot on your tripod. So now you can do all these cool kinds of, you know, stabilized photography effects with your phone. And I know there's a lot of new phones coming out that have really cool features on them. So this makes a lot of sense for that stuff. And it's designed so that it'll fit any phone. So it's called the Sidekick 360 from our friends over at mefoto.com. All right, folks, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsors, Squarespace and FreshBooks. And stay tuned at the end of this episode for a really interesting interview. I'm not sure which one we're going to insert yet, but it will be interesting, and you will see it in the blog post for this once I pick it. So, but uh, definitely check that out. So before we end the show, Brian Capricci, where can people go to uh, connect with you online? 
Yeah, uh, thanks, Frederick. So I'd, I'd love for people to check out, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, my new educational resource about the business of photography. Uh, it's called Sprouting Photographer, and the link is www.sproutingphotographer.com. Sprouting Photographer. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's very green of you. It's very, like, earthy. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And Mr. Aaron Nace, where would you like people to go to connect with you online? Um, well, Brian, I'm going to check out your website as soon as we get off this call. I'm, I'm excited. The business side of photography is huge, so I'm, I'm excited to see everything you have. Yeah, cool. Um, Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, dude, totally, man. Um, and we don't do a ton of the business side with Flurm, but we do like the Photoshop stuff. So um, I guess if you guys want to find us, just uh, Flurm.com, and we're having a huge birthday sale right now. Everything on the site's 30% off, so it's uh, never been a better time. We've got like 600 at, yeah, I think we're at a little over 600 free Photoshop tutorials now. So that's insane. That is crazy, <laughs> and they're all good. I mean, they're they're like, like if for example, if you did the Matrix and plugged into Flurn and just sucked all the knowledge that's in there into your head, you'd be like a Photoshop wizard in like I don't know three days, right? It's just. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have done that. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, Aaron, Aaron, before we go, just a little background on you, so. I was looking, you know, before our first interview, I was researching some of the stuff that you were involved with, and I know you did, you did this cool project. Um, it was like 365 days of Photoshop manipulations of yourself, right? T yeah. Tell me about that. What was the impetus of that, real quick, before we go? Well, it was it was like my first days in photography, and I was on a web, uh, like a Flickr. You guys know Flickr, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Back in like 2008, 2009, it was huge. Everyone was on it. And um, I had a couple friends who were joining the site, and people were posting these like 365-day projects where they were taking a self-portrait every single day for a year. And I was just learning at the time, and I kind of like dared uh, some friends of mine who were ju also just learning. Was, so we kind of like both started the project at the same time. It's like, all right, I'll start it if you do it. And um, it it turned out to be like the best learning experience I, I could imagine. It just forced me to to spend, you know, what started off as like 30 minutes and then I got really into it. And by the end of my 365 project, um, I was spending, you know, four or five hours a day in Photoshop and in photography. And it, it forced me to do it every single day. And people were kind of like waiting for me to upload pictures, which just, I, I, I really can't say how much that project has done for me. It's just everything I've learned is, is a result of like, you know, kind of forcing myself to shoot that much. Um, and I, I shot more during that first year than I have any year since combined. I'm sure of it. So I've, I, I owe everything to that. So pretty cool. And where, where is that? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll link to that in this episode, but where, if people are listening and they want to just go find it right now, where is it? Yeah, if you just go on uh, Flickr.com and type in uh, A-K-N as in Nancy, A-C-E-R, A-K-N-A-C-E-R, um, you'll find a lot of my self-portraits. I wound up taking a few of them down because they were just... Uh... <laughs> a little bit too risque, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> awesome. Just make, private. Still our just make a private. They're, they're private. They're still are quite a few up there. Private. That's cool. All right, and just for, for just uh, for the the listeners, it's Flurn at P H L E A R N, not F. It's Flurn. Yeah, with a thank PH. you. Like photography, Photoshop, Learn. Yes, perfect. Awesome, guys. Well, thanks to both of you for coming on. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. I think this was a great show. I think people get a lot of it. Awesome. Thanks, Frederick. Thanks, Frederick. Thanks, You're Brian. You're welcome. 
All right, folks, and if you want to find me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com, thisweekinphoto.com, or mediabytes.com, or, of course, you can find me over on Google+, or on Twitter, all under the name Frederick Van. And, uh, yeah, definitely please visit our new site at, at thisweekinphoto.com. We uh, revamped it a little while ago. I'd love your feedback to let us know how it looks. Is it easier to navigate? Does it work on your iPad? Which was a was a requisite of mine. Um, so yeah, let us know what you think. And but above all, no matter what you do, remember to take that lens cap off. This week in photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, folks, I'm chatting with my friend Rob Knight. He's uh, an amazing photographer. He's one of those photographers that gets to go all around the world showing people how to become better photographers. He teaches workshops and, uh, you know, as well as being an accomplished photographer. He shoots Lumix or Micro, micro Four Thirds based cameras. We're going to talk about that a little bit, as well as just sort of why he does what he does. So, Mr. Rob Knight, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thanks a lot, Manny. Hey, it's good to have you. It's good to have you on. Okay, let, let's, let's start it off. So, history and photography, right? So, have you been doing this your entire life, or was this one of those late-in-life epiphanies, and you're like, you know what? I'm done with this accounting thing. I'm going to be a photographer. How did you get into it? <laughs> Pretty late in life. Yes, um, I guess about 14 years, 13 or 14 years ago. Um, I, I've always liked to travel. And I remember, um, geez, I think we went to Reno, Nevada. And I was there for a tattoo convention. I, I was in the tattoo business for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I bought... Uh, December, just almost as a whim on the way out the door to go drive around Lake Tahoe and uh, had fun, you know, just clicked the shutter a few times. And then um, I guess a couple of months later, I got a calendar in the, and I was looking through this calendar and I see what was one of the pictures that I had taken at Lake Tahoe. Oh. And, uh, and it, I was like, wait a minute, how did they get this? So I get the picture out of, of the little, you know, film envelope and, and compare it. And it was from exactly the same spot. And I thought, so here's this picture that's this published photo, and it looks exactly like something that I made. Maybe my, you know, artistic background, you know, would help me be a photographer. Sure. And uh, so I went and hang out with my friend Brad Kay, who's a a commercial photographer here in Atlanta. And uh, I said, Brad, you know, why is this a good picture? And he started about composition and things like that, and uh, it's been all downhill from there. So. Awesome. So well, talk about your the, the kinds of photography you do. So we in the beginning I talked about your traveling around a lot. So did you is that is that the niche you found travel and then when you get to the destination it becomes landscape and that sort of thing or do you are you a sort of a jack of all trades photographer? Kind of a generalist, but mm-hmm. um, the thing that inspires me the most is traveling, is mm-hmm. going to that new place and and trying to sort of bring home a sense of that that I can show to people. And uh, I'm, I'm always, I've always been drawn to nature photography and landscape and that kind of thing. So um, I like to travel and then shoot in the woods, kind of. And then what do you, when you get there? So take me through like from beginning to end, like the, the, the workshop itself. So you're, you're on the website. I'm a, say I'm a customer and I want to come on a Rob Knight 
adventure, mm-hmm. right? So I go to the workshop. Sure. Then what? What? Take me through all the way the steps to me clicking the shutter at some exotic location. Gotcha. Well, one of the things that I strive to do for my workshops is provide um, an experience as much as a photography experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not necessarily doing everything with a camera in your hand. Um, I always say that I want you to have a wonderful experience and a, a fun journey and make great pictures along the way. So yeah. um, I like to take people places that I'm um, confident that there there's options to make great pictures. You know, there's opportunities to make great pictures. And then that uses uh, as an opportunity to explain. You know, if you're trying to capture X, Y, and Z, then you might want to, you know, make this change to your camera, might want to use this particular lens or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say, I, I look for this face. When Yeah, the confused face. When people yeah. trying to do something and can't figure out how to make it work. Right. And, uh, and then I'll step in and say, okay, now what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because um, what I don't like is to line people up and tell them which way to point their camera and what, what photo to make. Right. I, I don't really have any interest in, in doing that for people. I want to help you make the pictures that you want to make and and help you, you be creative yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, so then when when you're on location, how do you select the locations that you go to? Because I know you've been to – where where have you been? Because I know you've been to some tropical areas, and what's on the list? Uh, um, I, Rica. I went there for the first time, I think, seven years ago, and um, obviously the place, but the people are really wonderful. And um, and that's what I fell in love with, and why I keep going back to Costa Rica. But um, I've been to Europe a few times, and and um, traveled around the United States quite a bit. But I will where I know, like I said, I know I'm going to make take you somewhere where you can make a great picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love the idea. People always ask me, well, why don't you go, you know, go here or go there? And I would love to, but I want to go ahead of time and scout it out and and decide where I'm going to take you and what time of day we should go and that kind of thing. And um, at this point, I have a two-year-old, and I have uh, another baby on the way next month. So I'm oh, congratulations! Thanks, man. I'm I'm kind of limited in my my scouting opportunities, you know. So yeah, but that that's a good point you bring up there because um that that little vital piece of photography is what a lot of photographers kind of miss, right? It's the scouting piece. You know, you go mm. a lot of us me included, photographers think, okay, you know what, I'm going, I'm just going to put myself in a situation with my gear and I'll make some great photos when I get there. You know, sure. like I'll take a drive up to Yosemite and, you know, it's Yosemite, of course there are going to be photos there, so I'm going to take pictures. Now, where a little bit of planning beforehand could lead to even better pictures. So you know that, okay, I'm going to get a shot of El Capitan here, I know the sun is going to be around this time, so I'm going to make sure I'm here at this time to get that particular shot. Then I'm going right. to go over there. I'm going to get the waterfall and the snow on the ground, so I'm going to make sure I have so-and-so. So you can think through it rather than being a, a, a photographic opportunist, right? Is that, right. that a good way to think about it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I just saw a presentation a friend of mine gave last night, and, and he was talking about preparedness for landscape photography. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was one of the things. If you show up, and especially when it comes to landscapes, if the light's not right, then the, you're not going to make the great picture. You know, great pictures are made in great light when you're, and uh, well, I was going to say when you're talking about landscapes with anything, a great portrait is made with great light, whether you make that great light or or you come upon it. So, um, you know, you get to a spot and the light's not perfect, then, you know, use your phone and check the compass and decide, well, is this going to be better in the morning or the evening? 
and then come back if you can. So yeah, that's yeah, definitely great, one of there's some, great, there's some great tools out there for that too. There's a, an iOS yeah. app. I think it may be on, on Android as well, but it's called uh, the Photographer's Ephemeris. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that sure. that is one of those tools that you take out there to say, okay, the sun's going to be coming up over there, and the shadows are going to be over here, or you know, or conversely, hey, I want to get a shot of that, but the sun's going to be right there. <laughs> I want to get this <laughs> exactly. Shot. Probably not a good idea to be here tomorrow at noon, right? Right, absolutely, and that that's one of the great things I think about going on a workshop. Uh, you can, as a photographer, especially, you want to go at to the good places at the right times. Yeah. So when you go with an experienced guide then you know you're going to be at the spot to make the picture at the right time. And uh, it takes some of the some of the guesswork and some of the, just the work out of it. You know, no, you can uh, go... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, you can go, can go to beautiful places, but uh, um, just like if you go at the wrong time of day, then you're just not going to make the, the best shot. Yeah, and you'll be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, the, just to hammer it home, a lot, of, a lot of folks think that, hey, I'm going to build this ultimate kit. You know, it's going to have every lens I need in it. It's going to have bodies in there. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm set. I got the world's best tripod. I understand lighting and compo you know, composition and, and f-stops and shutter speeds. I understand all that. So I'm equipped. So you can drop me anywhere and I can make a good <laughs> shot, which yep. unfortunately is not the case because not the planet... Case. You know, rumor has it the planet is round and is spinning, and we're going around this big hydrogen ball that lights us. You know, everything changes all the time, so you have to do a little bit more planning than just have the the weaponry available for battle. Right? Absolutely. I, yeah. I got an email recently from uh, I won't say the name of the company, but they have a book coming out that's how to make great photos in any situation. <laughs> oh, and okay. That is any. pretty tricks. Any, yeah, that's any, a pretty any broad every situation. Yes. So <laughs> okay. I, I, so uh, how about I'm on the dark side of the moon with ISO <laughs> 100. <laughs> right. How about that? And I'm exactly. shooting aliens that are made of uh, you know coal. <laughs> right. Right. Or just I want to take a picture of my my running around and I don't have a flash and it's nighttime. Like, right. Okay. Tell me how to make a great picture in that. Sometimes yeah. it's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, piece of advice: stay away from the words any, every, all. You know those. <laughs> they just don't work. You know, lawyers will tell you that. Okay, all right. So let's let's talk about um, uh, gear a little bit. So on these adventures that you're going on, I know you and I hung out. Um, where was it? New York. We were hanging out in New York. Remember? Sure. We were at the Photo Plus Expo, and we were talking about gear choices, and you shoot Panasonic Lumix cameras. So tell me about right. your decision to shoot that over something with a larger sensor in it. Because, you know, at the time, I remember I was still getting my brain around, you know, <laughs> smaller sensor ver versus APS-C or a micro four-thirds versus APS-C versus full frame. How can right. you possibly get the quality you need out of that, that little, the little sensor, the smaller sensor? So that what, how do you come to it? Well, the technology has come so far so fast, especially when it comes to micro four-thirds. You know, you've got two big electronics companies pushing the envelope um, and basically competing directly. So, you know, Lumix must know that if their next camera is not the best one, then you'll just get the other guy's camera yeah. and, and use all your same lenses. It's not like you'd have to sell your whole kit. Yeah. Um, but for me, the everybody throws around that term, the, the mirrorless advantage. But uh, for me, that mirrorless advantage is really a micro four-thirds advantage. Mm -hmm. And the advantage is the small sensor because I call glass. Um, yeah. You know, if you have an APS-C-sized mirrorless camera, you're going to have APS-C-sized lenses. 
And if you have a full frame mirrorless camera, you're going to have full frame size lenses. So the skinny camera is not really, that doesn't benefit me because I, I need to carry, you know, lenses. I need to carry most of it on my back. Really. And um, with the Lumix gear, I mean, I just got back from the uh, Carolina's Nature Photographers Expo in Raleigh. And I was, I did a couple of talks for the group and then I was kind of the booth guy for the Lumix uh, booth all weekend. Yeah. And get a kit from Tom. So I had to take my um, luminary loadout and in my think tank roller bag, I've got six bodies and 10 lenses. Jeez. That would I be mean, a truck if you were shooting larger. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. In the same bag that when I, my D3S and three Nikon lenses and a speed in, and it would be packed full. Yeah. So, just that, and that's that's the advantage for me. So, so the, the and, uh, size, weight, you know, portability, all that stuff. That notwithstanding, mm -hmm. coming from Nikon, as I as I am, um, what about the quality, right? So, you can have the smallest, lightest gear in the world, but if your photos don't match up to what you were shooting on your larger sensor, then what's it all for? I, you know, a right. lot of people say, you know, I'll just lug around the heavy stuff for a little bit to get the better shot than carry around a small sensor and sacrifice quality. Now, is right. that is that a factor for you? You know, it was a factor for me. I got my first Micro Four Thirds cameras, geez, I guess a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I got it like a lot of people do, just as a, you know, kick around, kind of take on vacation camera, nothing serious. Yeah. And um and I used that. It was a, it was an Olympus and then the the EM five came out. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I got that I guess I had just gotten my um, D800E Nikon. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I had, as far as anybody knows, I, I had one of the first, at least one of the first handfuls in the state. Mm. Um, so I got it through NPS, and I, I thought I was pretty pretty hot stuff. <laughs> yeah, but, um, important. <laughs> exactly. And uh, But then I got the, uh, the EM5 right after that, and basically the Nikon didn't come out of the bag for about five months. And I thought at that point I was like, well, I'm going to use this Olympus, but then when I feel like I need that full frame, I'm going to pull that out. Mm -hmm. And I just never got to that point. The images look great, everything's sharp. Like I like the color. It was great. So I ended up selling that stuff, and uh, geez, I made a profit on half of my lenses because um, I had bought them a couple of years before, and then after that was the tsunami, so everything was kind of harder to come by, and yeah, yeah. the MSRPs were actually up on all the glass. So I made money on selling my Nikon lenses, and um, and Who I was you sell them on eBay or Craigslist. Um, yeah, Craigslist. Yeah. yeah, sold them all locally. So um, when uh, I guess it was last January uh, when I met Tom Curley at uh, the Lumix booth at Imaging USA here in Atlanta, I picked up the GH3, and it just seemed really familiar to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. All the buttons were where I expected them to be. It felt good. It just feels like a camera. Yeah. And it's still small. It's large compared to, you know, the GM1, but compared to an APS-C DSLR, it's it's still tiny. It's like and, the uh, it's like the Papa Smurf, right? <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> still a Smurf, but it's a little bit bigger than the other ones. Exactly. And uh, right. I mean, I, I literally went home and ordered that that day, and um, I just wasn't using the Olympus anymore because it's so much easier to use the GH3. Yeah. And uh, the image quality, I mean, with the 16 megapixel Micro Four Thirds sensor, they, they make good pictures. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, now, if I was going to shoot at ISO 25,000 all day long, you know, I would I would feel like I needed a bigger chip. But um, 
I'll shoot up to ISO 1600, 3200, no and, and I'm very pleased with the result. Now, is that your main camera, the GH3, or is it the GX? Was it GX7, or which which one is your 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 workshop camera that you're gonna that I'm gonna see you pull out on a workshop? Um, right now, it's a it's a little bit of both. I'll usually, if I'm just gonna grab a camera, it's usually the GX7. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of things that the X7 does, like um, focus peaking, for example, um, that the GH3 doesn't do, and um, so that's just, that's kind of my go-to machine right now. I cannot wait for the GH4. I was going to ask you um, about that because that kind of combines the best of both worlds, right? It it really really does. And and I'm not, you know, I'm a big nerd. Don't get me wrong, but I'm usually not really hot for the next thing because usually the the advances are so incremental. But um, you know, the not the 4K video notwithstanding, um, our our buddy Julio sent me a, a JPEG out of a pre-production GH4 at ISO 2500 that it looks like 200. I mean there is wow. it is the cleanest file. I'm I'm man, I can't wait to get that sucker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, as far as my workshops, I'll have that hopefully by the time we go to Costa Rica later this year. So uh, um that's gonna be insane. Of course I have to buy a new computer to work with the 4K video, but <laughs> yeah, of, course. of course. Yes, you do. So does that mean that your primary, if you, when you get the G, the GH4, that'll be your primary, and then the GH3 will become your backup, or will it be the GH4 slash GX7? Well, the reason I think I'd keep the GH3 as a backup is the same, it's the same battery grip. Oh, just the form um, factor. All the accessories yeah. will fit. Absolutely. I, I'll, that's just um, one less set of battery chargers I'll have to bring with yeah. me. Very cool. So. Awesome. All right. So, what's what's next for you? I mean, what's uh? So we've got Costa Rica coming up later this year. What's a yep. baby coming? You got a busy 2014. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, I I just finished. Uh, as we've talked about it before. The GX7 and GM1 book for Peach Bit yes. Press. I just yeah. sent in the last, um, the last chapter this Monday, about two weeks ahead of schedule. So, um, my 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 buddies at Peach Bit are trying to get it on the shelf for Photoshop in Atlanta. For the first of April. Okay. So I'm I'm crossing my fingers that they can push that through, but um, trying to get that done. Then having a baby in a couple weeks, and then I'll be uh, up to my elbows in that for a, a while. And then, um, geez, I'm shooting a hockey game at the end of March up in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I, I, I the name of the camera store, but it's a Lumix event, um, and I'm sure you can check my website. I need to get some links up for that. Um, so we'll actually take a group to the Buffalo Sabres game and shoot through the little photo holes in the corners of the glass for the warm-ups. And uh, I'm looking really forward to that. That'll well, be that's, fun. A, that's an interesting point you bring up because one, one of the arguments against Micro Four Thirds that I hear is that it's no good for sports or fast-moving type environment. So, mm -hmm. And there's no long glass, good long glass for it. I know you did a YouTube video on the 100 to 300 Right. Is that where you're going to be taken there? And tell me, tell me about you know, or dispel those rumors if you can that you know, shooting fast action is not possible with this type of gear. Well, I will say the the complaints that people have are about the focus tracking. So okay. when you put on focus, that AF, yeah. when you that AF mode, the the autofocus tracking doesn't is not as um, reliable as say like the Nikon you know 3D tracking. But um, from what I found, it just in um, AFC mode, the continuous autofocus mode, the camera will use predictive focusing if you're in high-speed drive mode. 
Okay. So it won't run at the full speed, but it will it will track us that way. And I find that that works really well and, and really reliably, um, more so than the uh, tra the actual tracking focus mode where you touch the screen and it kind of tracks the thing. Right. But um, uh, I like to use back button autofocus on mm -hmm. the GH3 and the GX7. And um, I'll shoot our, uh, we have an East Coast Hockey League team here in Atlanta. And um, I was using the uh, 35 to 100 28. So basically the 70 to 200 28 equivalent. Um, basically to capture the action. And there's a, a lot of times, I'm usually not even shooting that racked all the way out at, at uh, a 200 millimeter focal length. So yeah. I'm actually what taking about the what about that 100 game on Tuesday? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm taking a group to the hockey game on Tuesday to do a little a little workshop here in Atlanta, oh, and okay. I, I will be taking the 100 to 300 to do some of those. Um, a lot of the NHL pictures right now are almost on ice. You know, they're really tight shots of the guys, and uh, I'm gonna try to get some of that stuff going too, where you can really see the, you know, like the goalie's face through the mask and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about the uh, that 100 to 300? Uh, no, that's a 100. Which lens is it? Yeah, 100 to 300, right? Mm -hmm. So right. you have that lens. I saw your YouTube video on that. So tell me about that one. Is it, uh, you know, is it is it a good lens? An okay lens? Is it a must-have lens in the long zoom focal length range for this format? I think so. I think so. I I had like a lot of my Lumix gear. I had that lens before I had before I was like a Lumix guy before I was on the team. Um, and the reason I initially bought that lens over um, the other options are there's a little, little space at the back of it where you can put a tripod collar. Mm -hmm. So with any long lens, you, you're not going to use a you know full frame 600 millimeter lens without a tripod. Right. It's just not you know because it's it's this big, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the other lens, the the Olympus, I think it's a 75 to 300, doesn't have any sort of facility for that tripod collar. Um, so locking the lens down on the tripod makes a huge difference uh, in the sharpness of, of the images that you get. Plus, I think it's a it's about a half a stop faster. It's a variable aperture, but it's f4 to f5.6. So you're talking about a 600 millimeter f5.6 lens that's the size of a travel coffee mug. I mean, it's right. That's crazy. It's pretty darn nice. And does I, it have built-in image stabilization? It does. Sure does. It does. Wow. And it's great. It's it's uh, with the new version, the new uh, generation of the cameras where I can shoot at ISO 3200, and I'm shooting at f5.6. I'm still getting, you know, fast enough shutter speeds with the with a lens like that, which basically basically a 600 millimeter lens. You'd want to shoot at a 600th of a second, and that's that's not always the case when you're shooting wildlife, and you know you're shooting up into the, you know, definitely into shadows, but um, you can keep it pretty high. I'd love to have another stop or two. On that long end, but yeah, well, that's cool. The only reason I, I ask for selfish reasons because I have one arriving Monday, hopefully, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Which is why well, I saw your video because I'm like, your video was one of the reasons why I wanted the lens because I'm like, okay, cool. all right. If Rob thinks it's okay, it, I it's okay. To get, so. <laughs> so. Sure. And like I say in the video, if you treat it like a 600 millimeter lens, it's really really sharp. Um, I wish I had I, out in our lobby. I have a 24 by 30 inch canvas print of a hummingbird, and the hummingbird is basically two feet tall on the print that I made with that lens wide open at f5.6. And people, people, even non-photographers, you know, photographers always walk up to a big print mm -hmm. and look at it because we're big nerds. Of course. Even people who aren't photographers walk up to that print and 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 are they can't believe it because you can see every little feather and every little detail. And wow. I always laugh about that when people say, "Oh, that lens isn't sharp." 
you got to send me send me a shot of that. I want to see that. I want to cool. see. Yeah, I definitely want to see that. Actually, send me that um, like ASAP. We'll put it in this video so people can, you know, get an idea of what that lens can do. Cool. We'll do. All right. Well, Mr. Rob Knight, thank you for taking time out of your pre second baby life <laughs> chat with me on the show good luck with everything and uh, I guess I'll I'll see you soon we're gonna you're gonna be coming into the the Lumix Lounge live booth at WPPI virtually just like this right right absolutely yeah, yep. yeah. so you'll be joining us in a hangout on there and uh, yeah we'll be in touch sounds great man thanks for having me all right see you later Rob